0: I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I'm your host Kurt Sandig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac Let's take a look at a classic, incredible UFO encounter Possibly Australia's best UFO encounter ever But first, we have shoutouts Lily Venable, Keith, Autumn, Nanashi, Shani, Vanessa, Troy, Veronica, Amber, Nick, Manning, Jeff, Megan, Cat Martin, Lash, Kira, Maggie, Hi Maggie, Laura O., Anthony, Jamie, Todd, and Elijah Hendrickson, Dan, Angie, Matt, Laura, Chuck, Travis, Sarah, David, Michaela, Heidi, Rachel, Lindsay, Juliana, Edgar, Sarah, J-Mark, Carolyn, Jim, Jade, Pablo, Laura, Jeff, Dill, Laura, Daniel, Laura, and a special shout out to Christy Webster. Those are the coolest people in the world because they are my patrons. Head on over to patreon.com paranormalalmanac for extra episodes, some fun stuff, some stuff I'm sending out to them this week, and a new episode will be coming up very soon, just for the patrons. But now for some paranormal news. The first story broke today, and boy did it break. Everybody's been talking about it. Everybody sent it to me, so thank you very much. Repeated radio signal from galaxy 1.5 billion light years away scientists announce. So basically scientists pick up large number of blasts over uh, repeated blasts of radio signals coming from deep in space. The breakthrough is the only is only the second time scientists have seen such a repeating radio burst and that's important. Repeating radio burst. Now it goes on to say it both deepens the mystery and offers a potential opportunity to finally understand what might be throwing out the burst from a galaxy billions of light years away. Fast radio bursts have been speculated to be the results of everything from exploding stars to transmissions from aliens, yes indeed. But they remain entirely mysterious with little evidence at all of where they might be coming from. To give you an idea of how quick these bursts are, well the flashes only last for a millisecond, but they're flung out with the same amount of energy the sun takes 12 months to produce. Probably most exciting of the new bursts is one that scientists saw repeat six times, apparently from the same location. Again, very important. Of the more than 60 fast radio bursts detected so far, only one of them has ever repeated. So, fingers crossed, we might be on our way to having a repeating alien signal, radio signal from aliens, however you want to say it. Hopefully... Fingers crossed, we'll find out. Up next in paranormal news, might not seem paranormal, but hang on for a second, trust me, it gets there. The title of the article is, What is the Dark Lord? And does its 9-11 papers reveal a real conspiracy? So there's this hacker group calling itself the Dark Overlord. And it says they have proof of a 9-11 conspiracy and that the sensitive document dump has already begun. First, I'd like to say if any of the Dark Overlord are listening, I really, really want some of the other evidence you have. What other evidence you might be asking? Well, well, the group has said on a recent forum that its future releases will include information that supports claims of UFO sightings. This is coming out of Newsweek and a couple other articles. But the group has a history of hacking organizations to obtain sensitive information before demanding money in exchange for not leaking it into the public domain. Possible information that supports claims of UFO sightings might be released very soon. Fingers crossed. Sorry, everybody that doesn't want the 9-11 information out, but... UFO sightings. Fingers crossed. All right, this next one, uh... Kind of goes off the rails pretty quick, but I had to put it on here. The title of the article, Meet Robin Lynn Pfeiffer, Rural Michigan's Mother of Bigfoots. Out of all the people who have claimed to have seen Bigfoot, one Michigan woman puts them all to shame. Robin Lynn Pfeiffer, Bigfoot sightings became an everyday encounter after a family of them made their home in the woods behind her house. So she's basically a regular woman who allegedly attracts Bigfoot. There's an entire family of them that live behind her house in the area. And she's more than willing to share her story. In fact, she likes talking about it. She says when the Bigfoots moved onto her property in 2009, she started feeding them different foods and discovered their love for blueberry bagels. When discussing their feeding schedule with Discovery News in 2011, she says, They get fish every day, a bucket of fruit, a bucket of dry dog food, but their favorite thing is blueberry bagels. She also goes on to say that the Bigfoot are kind of pranksters. They always goof around and pull pranks. She said they like to poke around in her home's crawl space, knock on walls, and braid her pony's hair. I want to go on record to say I really want to see a Bigfoot braiding a pony's hair. So, Photoshop, draw it, whatever. Paint it, make an oil painting, whatever. I want to see a drawing, a painting, a picture, whatever, of a Bigfoot braiding a pony's hair. Thank you. She says they also build little little stick structures out in the woods as well. Now, you might be asking the question that you should be asking is, where are the photos then? Hey, hey, Lynn Pfeiffer, where are the photos? Well, she's reportedly tried to take their pictures, but they always outwit her. When she would set up automatic cameras around the forest, the Bigfoots would turn them upside down. Now, she has made plaster casts of their feet, And the biggest footprint she's measured so far is 18 and a half inches long. Not everybody kind of agrees that uh, she's real. In fact, a lot of the people in the Bigfoot community say she's full of shit. But I'm going to keep an open mind. So Lynn Pfeiffer, if you'd like to come on the show and talk about Bigfoot, I would love to have you. Now she goes on to say that the Bigfoot on her land differentiate in size by as much as three feet. The shortest is close to six feet tall while the tallest is nearly nine feet. She said the biggest one I've sat and looked at for 15 minutes was nine and a half feet tall. The large male is all black. Others are beige and white. It's a very bizarre story. I'll give them that. But, but it's a family of Bigfoot living in a backyard in Michigan that love blueberry bagels. Of course, it's a weird story. In fact, it's almost so weird that it, shouldn't have been made up. It can't be made up. It has to be real. Again, Bigfoot braiding a pony's hair. Again, again, don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. They braid ponies' hair and they love blueberry bagels. Come on, guys. Alrighty, let's take a quick paranormal break. Go get a blueberry bagel if you got one. If you don't, go braid a pony's hair. We'll be right back with more Paranormal Almanac after the break. Okay, with that, let's get to the main story. The year was 1966, April 9th to be exact. The place? Westall High School in Melbourne, Australia. A UFO was spotted not by one or two people, but by over 200 to 300 people. That's right. At just after 11 a.m., a UFO descended into a nearby open grass field between two schools filled with students and teachers. Now, this took 20 minutes for it to happen. It wasn't something like a quick something zip by in the sky. This was a close, close encounter that was witnessed by hundreds of people. All right, let's jump right into this. So the kids are outside. They're playing sports. They're having fun during recess, doing whatever. They're outside when some of them notice a quote gray saucer or silver green saucer in the sky. The eyewitnesses said it had a purplish glow and was about twice the size of a car. Now remember, we're talking about the size of a 60s car, so twice the size is fairly substantial. Obviously, those that saw it slowly descending alerted everyone in the area. And some students inside the classes, they went in and told everybody, there's a UFO out there, Come outside. Now everyone, and I mean everyone, teachers and students alike, watched this silent UFO, that's important, silent UFO, move over the high school's southwest corner, going southeasterly, then it went out of sight behind some trees. Now the trees were between two schools, so eyewitnesses had eyes on it in one of two locations the entire time. Now some braver students walked closer to it, And in fact, some girls fainted or ran away, while others stood there close by watching the UFO. While the UFO was on the ground, three white UFO lights were flying or buzzing, as it was described, like buzzing around above it. No engine noises were heard, just humming. Why it landed, or what it was doing while it landed, is unknown. But suddenly, the UFO shot away and vanished within seconds at an incredible speed... That was described as, quote, quicker than anything I had seen then or since. And that's a recent quote. And it was at this point the headmaster came out and ordered everyone to go back to class. Now, this next bit is a little bit harder to determine. But someone told all the eyewitnesses to be quiet about what they saw. Now, who told the children to be quiet? Well, from some of the reports, I found the headmaster told the children and the teachers not to talk about it. After he spoke with the military, the headmaster assembled everyone in a lecture hall and told them that the students would be severely punished and that the teachers would be fired if they talked. But there are also reports of men in black coming and talking to the eyewitnesses, including the students who suddenly didn't want to talk about it anymore. Now, it is known, and this is really known, this isn't conjecture, it is known that a high-ranking official was dispatched to Westall at that time, which, I gotta say, it doesn't happen because of stray weather balloons, I'll get to that, and the students have said they were threatened or bullied by the military just after the incident. Now, the news made it out even after the threats, and people all over the area started to talk about it. Even the local newspapers ran articles about it. The Dandenong Journal wrote about it twice. The first was on April 14th, and the second was on April 21st. The headline, Flying Saucer Mystery, School Silent, What Was It? The April 21st article said, and that's the second one, said, Marilyn Eastwood pictured a student at Westall High School is one of the youngsters that watched the, the unidentified flying object near her school playground on April 6th. The object left a clear impression on Marilyn's memory, and her description of it tallies those given by students and staff members who saw it. The journal in which she took a sketch of the object is reproduced above, and there's a drawing of the UFO, and I'll get to that in a little bit too. Marilyn described it as a round with a bump or hump on top and things underneath. Her sketch closely resembles sketches and photographs of other unidentified objects reported from many parts around the world. That same newspaper, the Dandenong Journal on the, on April 28th, 1966, page 21, also had a mention of the UFO encounter. Now remember, this is 12 days after the incident. And it says, letters to the editor. Quote, mystery solution, question mark, end quote. Sir, your flying saucer story is very interesting. If only for the accurate description of a normal air-to-air firing practice exercise, Which has been carried out by aircraft practically as long as there have been fighting aircraft. One of the supposed, quote, saucers has been correctly identified as a meteorological, meteorological, radiosonic balloon. The other, and it goes on to quote, like a thin beam of light about half the length of a, about half the length of as light aircraft, silver gray in color, is a reasonably accurate description of a target drone towed by one aircraft on a few hundred yards of tow line, so that other aircraft can practice what is termed air-to-air fighting. He goes on to say that this is the rather complicated maneuvers required to shoot down a moving aircraft from one another moving aircraft in the air. The aircraft apparently observing the object was obviously the towing aircraft, and the four other aircraft playing a cat-and-mouse kind of game with the object was the aircraft practicing firing, probably with camera guns, at the drogue. Calls it a drogue. I don't know. It goes on to say, for the benefit of the writer of the article, who has obviously never heard of a drogue, or knows anything about aircraft maneuvers, a drogue is a long cylinder of fabric, silk or nylon, something like a windsock seen on airfields, about half the length of a light aircraft, silver gray in color, which moves up and down and side to side on the currents of air from the towing aircraft, and is never stationary until the towing aircraft lands, of course. Now, I don't buy this at all. That's the end of that thing. I don't buy this at all. Basically, this is the basic, quote, it was a weather balloon BS that follows most UFO encounters, especially at that time. Now, remember, this was students and teachers that witnessed it for 20 full minutes. Teachers would know a solid UFO saucer-shaped object from a weather balloon, That looks like a windsock, a large silver windsock at that. The descriptions don't match. The speed it took off doesn't match. There were no planes waiting for it to pull again. There was no line going up into the air to a plane. This is obviously a failed attempt at a cover-up. And I say obviously fairly confident because it just doesn't match the descriptions. Now, I have more, don't worry. An Australian UFO researcher and photographer, James J. Kybell, conducted an interview with a science teacher from Westall School, Andrew Greenwood, who witnessed the event. Now, this recording was then sent to the American physicist, Dr. James E. McDonald, who is well known for his research into UFOs. Now, thankfully, the audio was discovered among McDonald's possessions. It's not fantastic audio, though, so I'm just kind of give you a transcript of it, but you can find it online. It's on YouTube. If you'd like to listen to it, it's neat. It's just really bad audio. So I didn't want to include it on this podcast. Mr. Kaibo recorded himself describing their meeting and the details Mr. Greenwood gave about his experience. And Mr. Greenwood said, the UFO was first brought to his attention by a hysterical child who ran to his classroom and told him there's a flying saucer outside. Now, he thought this child had become deranged or something, so he didn't take any notice. But when the child insisted that this object was in the sky, he decided to go out and have a look for himself. Now, when he went out, he noticed a group of children looking towards the northeast area of the school grounds, and as he approached them, he claims he saw a UFO hovering close to the power lines. Not attached to him by a line, none of that. Hovering. Now, Mr. Greenwood described it as a round silver object about the size of a car with a metal rod sticking up in the air. All right, that sounds nothing like a large windsock to me, but then he goes on to say he called it the most amazing flying he had ever seen in his life. That's important. A windsock being pulled by planes that would have been very noticeable would look like a windsock being pulled by planes, not the most amazing flying he has ever seen in his life. He does mention the planes, though. He says the planes were doing everything possible to approach the object. And he said how they all avoided collision. He will never know. Every time they got too close to the object, it would slowly accelerate, then rapidly accelerate and move away from them and stop. Then they would take off after it again. And the same thing would happen over and over again. Now, over the years, there were reports that the government tried to cover up the incident and stop witnesses from talking. But Mr. Greenwood claimed it was the headmaster that first tried to quash discussions of the incident. He claims that the headmaster was, quote, so scared and disturbed by the incident that he'd refused to come outside until the object was gone. So this headmaster didn't even come out to take a look at it. Now, there have been claims from several eyewitnesses that sharply dressed men in black suits visited them and warned them from speaking about the incident. When the Royal Australian Air Force contacted the headmaster, he told them to go jump in a lake, Mr. Kybell said. There have been claims from several witnesses that sharply dressed men in black suits visited them and warned them. At the time of seeing the UFO, he was a complete skeptic himself. He had never even considered the possibility of their existence. And this is Mr. Greenwood he's referring to. When he asked the physical education teacher to describe what she had seen herself... So that he could compare it with his own observation, she just wouldn't say anything. He then reportedly spoke to one of the older students who described the event in great detail exactly as he had seen it. But when he had spoke to her again a half an hour later, she wouldn't say a word. Mr. Greenwood said he didn't think it had anything to do with the headmaster's threats, as no one usually took him seriously. And he knew for a fact that the students he spoke with didn't attend the meeting where he made the threats. So somebody else made threats, And my guess is it's those men in black they keep referring to. Now, this is how he described first seeing the UFO. Mr. Greenwood said, I observed the object everyone was looking at. It was gray against a blue-gray sky, so I didn't see it immediately. The only thing I've got to compare it against is some smaller-sized Cessna aircraft, and it was approximately two-thirds the length of one of those. Now, I will admit, that is the dimensions of that weather balloon, or that drogue. Now, he said it was hard to make out the exact shape, but the best way he could describe it was a big plate with a bulge in the middle. The object moved in a very strange way that was a lot faster than any other aircraft he had ever seen in his life. Not a weather balloon. It did hover at times. It seemed to be able to accelerate and disappear out of sight, and then someone would see it over another part of the sky. It moved a considerable distance away very rapidly and then moved back again. At one point, the object moved towards the crowd, but it moved in such a way that it was impossible to know it was moving until it was right in front of them. He says it came towards us. Not that we could actually see it coming towards us, but we could see that it was closer now than it was before. It would go up and down. It would move slowly. But generally, it seemed to hover or move really fast. Those were the two things. He goes on to say this is when the plane showed up. Now, Mr. Greenwood noted that the UFO seemed to be playing some sort of game with the, with those planes. The planes would approach it and then try to move around it and the UFO moved over to another part of the sky very rapidly. The plane followed it over there and it moved back again. It seemed to be playing cat and mouse with the planes. More planes started to arrive in about that 20-minute time frame and he said there was about five planes in the sky with the object. According to him, The UFO was in the sky for 20 to 25 minutes from when he first noticed it, and then suddenly, it disappeared. He says it just vanished. It did one of the accelerations, and then no one could pick it up again. It was gone. Not a weather balloon. Bullshit. Alright, take this next part with a grain of salt, though. But a report was made to the Victorian Flying Saucer Research Society on April 7th, 1966. So it was reported the next day. I think that's important. I think that's the only thing that's really giving this credence. The name was completed by or in the name of a student, Joy Tai, who did go to the school. So two for two on two for two for verifying this data. It goes on to say, date April 6th, 1966, place Westall High School, time 1020 AM, elevation 45 degrees. Appearance Circular two UFOs flying in varying directions. Sound Whirring noise. Shape Round on top, flat on bottom. Color Silver. Any outstanding features? Flattened waist high grass for 10 yards diameter, 600 yards from the school. Speed Faster than some light aircraft in the vicinity. The direction was in the south, duration was 15 minutes. Weather fine. Shape Now there's a sketch which shows an upright dome shape. And the witnesses, school staff and pupils, reaction excited, other remarks, UFO turned edge and disappeared fast, signed J. Tai, 12 years old, 4-7-1966. Now while we're talking about Grains Assault, apparently one of the students did talk about what they saw on a message board online anonymously. Years later, online. Now obviously there is no way to know if the next bit is true, but I wanted to include it based on the testimony seeming credible. It goes, I was in a class when a disturbance occurred outside. I didn't take any notice. And when the bell went for morning recess, my classmates and I went to our lockers and then walked out into the yard. We noticed that all the girls who were doing physical education were gathered right down near the end of our playing field. Suddenly, the school came alive with excitement and everybody began running down towards where the schoolgirls were. I was among the surging mob. I had seen something very unusual in the sky. As I looked up, I saw a dazzling silver object flying around some pine trees which grew on a ridge about a quarter of a mile directly behind the school. It then flew across some open paddocks, also behind the school, and returned to the pines. Now on the other side of the ridge there is a small field. The thing hovered over the pines and descended behind them and must have been directly over the field. I then lost sight of it because of the pines. As the thing was out of sight, I began to notice many private aircraft, mainly Cessnas, flying towards the pines. It was then this thing reappeared and rose to the level of the approaching aircraft. This enabled me to get a rough idea of its size. It was a silver object, as long as one of the Cessnas, but very thin. As the aircraft approached, the thing turned on about a 45 degree angle and started to move into the distance, gradually gaining height. The planes increased their speed and began to follow it, but the object streaked away, leaving the planes far, far behind. The planes turned back, but we all stood hoping it would return, but it didn't. So we all went into school 15 minutes late. After school, two friends and I went to the field where the object had descended. In a few minutes, we were crawling under a barbed wire fence, which surrounded the field at a height of about four feet. We waded through the waist-high grass, making for a gap in it. Suddenly, we were there. We found ourselves standing in a spot where the grass had been utterly crushed against the earth. It was an area of about 25 to 30 feet in diameter. Cows could not have done it because the fence was barbed and also, cows would have left a track through the grass. There was no track. The object that descended over the field, could it have done this? It all leads back to the same question, what was the object? Some people say it was a weather balloon, but do weather balloons go up and down quickly, crush grass, and fly across the skies faster than a reasonably speedy aircraft? Otherwise, your guess, otherwise, your guess is as good as mine. Now, these next ones have been verified to be from students and sent in 1990 to Keith Basterfield, or Basterfield, I apologize, Keith, who is the Continental Coordinator for Australia and New Zealand for MUFON. Now, he was there until he stepped down from the position in 1998. Again, these letters were sent in 1990. Witness 1, named Lynn. As I recall, we did see a large area of flattened grass which looked looked as though the grass had been flattened all the way in a circular fashion. By memory, it was about 20 feet across. At the time we were informed, the teacher's not much interest was shown. Although I think a local newspaper came along, teachers were not impressed. The second letter is from Witness 2, Ken brother of witness 3. Ken says, I was 17 years old and I'm on my way home from Clayton Tech with some friends. We would pass the kids coming home from Westall High. This night the conversation on everyone's lips was the flying saucer incident. I remember it caused enough of a stir for the four of us to walk about a mile across to where the Westall kids said the flying so- the flying saucer had gone down behind the trees earlier in the day. In 1966, Clayton and particularly Westall was almost all country. The paddock the saucers landed in was remote from the houses and surrounded by tall pines. The area had the grass flattened and tufted in circles about 60 feet to 120 feet in diameter. So a lot bigger. And remember, he was 17 when he saw it. The rest of the long grass was undisturbed. No circles overlapped. We thought and talked about ways you could make such circles, such as walking with a rope or a tractor and a slasher. They didn't look like they were made by a method we could think of. I remember the circles were like the circles pictured in newspapers around this time of the saucer nest in Tully, NQ. I don't know where that is. I don't know if this was before or after what we saw or before or after what we saw. I know time doll's memories, I am reminded of various incidents that vary in the way the way that I and other people remember them. Regarding the army police etc, I heard the stories about them coming, checking and taking a camera. I didn't see any of this myself. I didn't see the saucers myself, but I did see the circles. Okay, last witness testimony from Chris, witness three, the sister of witness two. I was in the second intake of students at Westall High, and in 1966 was in my third year there. The school had been built on vacant land approximately 19 kilometers southeast of Melbourne. Eh, blah, blah, blah. During the morning tea break, one of the kids told us there were flying saucers down at the Oval. My friends and I raced to the far corner of the Oval, and by this time, there were quite a lot of other kids there. We didn't see them immediately as they were quite high, and apart from that, we didn't expect to see anything. What I saw was several objects that appeared as one saucer inverted on another. They were perhaps white or shiny in color, and maybe there were about seven of them, so this one gets kind of odd. It was difficult to tell how big they were as I had no way of knowing how high they were, but they were whizzing back and forth across the sky at a rapid pace. The UFOs appeared to come down behind the trees not too far from the school grounds, and some of the children climbed the fence top to go over there. I didn't. Perhaps they appeared to come down then again. I find that part hard to remember. I think we may have had 20-minute break from morning tea, and we saw the UFOs soon after the break began. We watched them until the bell returned to class had sounded. Some of the students returned to class immediately, but I stayed for probably another 10 minutes. By this time, the teachers were rounding up the kids. The teacher we had for library was intent on telling us we had made the lot up, stop the nonsense, and get into class. When the lunch break arrived, I immediately looked skyward but saw nothing. There was talks of reporters being at the gate, but teachers on duty told all the children to keep away. A special assembly was called where the principal informed the children that they had seen nothing and to talk to no one about it. I couldn't believe it. There were so many children that did see this event. She goes on to talk about the news at uh, in the evening. It was on there. Um, she would look for UFOs after the fact. And then she finishes it by saying that was the last time I ever saw them. Now, I do have some audio for you guys. There was a couple of shows. Seems like an Australian daytime talk show that talked with a lot of the witnesses fairly recently. They were all grown up. They were still talking about stuff. So here's a couple of quick excerpts from this australian daytime talk show um they're pretty self-explanatory i don't think i need to explain them but if i do i'll do it on the flip side
1: joanne terry in melbourne can you tell us what you saw yes natasha um i was out playing cricket on the oval at the time and we noticed these three craft hovering above the school um which was a bit unusual they were definitely weren't aircraft and Then, after about 10 minutes, we saw one go down into an area behind our school called The Grange, where we used to do our cross-country runs. So, being a little bit of a rebel, as I was at school, um, I was one of the first to run through and jump over the fence and arrive at The Grange, and it was on the ground in front of me. The, The other two girls had arrived before me, and one was hysterical, Tanya, and the other girl had fainted so i just looked at it and after a few minutes it just raised up above me probably to about 12 feet turned on its side and went zoom straight up into the air and disappeared almost instantly and there were two other craft in the air at the time joy did you see something similar and what were you thinking it was at that stage were you convinced it was a ufo look uh
2: i didn't know what it was. Yes, definitely a UFO. Um, I was actually in science class, and we had a um, student had rung in and flung the door open and said, Mr Greenwood, Mr Greenwood, there's things in the sky, there's flying saucers in the sky. So we all ran down the corridor and out onto the oval, and, yes, there were flying saucers in the sky. I saw three of them, um, but it took me quite a while to sort of comprehend what I was looking at because I'd never seen anything like that before. Jackie, it's quite um, intriguing. Did you also see those flying saucers? I saw a flying saucer. I don't recall there being more than one. Um, But we were down the back, I was down the back of the oval with Tanya when we noticed it in the sky. Um, It did some manoeuvres which were very strange, which is why our attention was drawn to it in the first place, and then it came down over the grange. We could see it coming down, so we took off after it. Um, Tanya actually reached the craft, I believe. I didn't, um, because she came back screaming towards me, and then I ran back with her to the school. She got taken away in an ambulance, and that was the last time I saw her. And and can you tell us a bit more about these craft? What colour were they? How big were they? Did they actually land or were they just hovering above the ground? The craft I saw was silver in colour. It was round. It did come down on the ground. Even though I didn't see it on the ground, I saw the marks that it left um, later on that day. It could move incredibly fast and it could also appear to stand still. When it took off from the other... aircraft that were buzzing it. It made them look as though they were at standstill.
1: Right.
0: Okay, so that about does it for the recordings. Let's get back to the story as I found it. The Dandenong Journal, the local newspaper, attributed the following information to Mr. Greenwood, that same science teacher I talked about earlier. He said five light aircraft were circling the object when they were flying at a relatively low altitude. The aircraft had played a cat and mouse kind of a game. Basically, Mr. Greenwood's story right when it happened is the same as Mr. Greenwood's story when he talked years later. And that's very important. That really leads to me to believe that this event happened. These people saw it. Mr. Greenwood definitely saw it. He never changed his story, never embellished or added anything to it. And I think that is very important. Now, the paper also reported that one pilot, Bob Ford, indicated that he had been flying, quote, somewhere in that area at the time, but did not see anything unusual no other pilots were found who indicated they had been in the area and saw something still another witness from this this is from the paper still another witness ms a described to me how she had seen three ufos that day according to her two of them had landed and she had seen two large circles of flattened and burnt grass she indicated their width was about 15 meters across She recollected how the military had arrived at their house the next day. Her mother and brother went in a truck with her to the landing site. They were told to stay in the truck while the military investigated, and they took samples of Earth. The military will not do that for a weather balloon. Or a drogue. Mize recollected overhearing a Royal Air Force officer saying that the Earth must have been subjected to extreme heat as it had been burnt. The military were insistent that the family say nothing about what they had witnessed. While her mother has died since then, her brother partially confirmed the story. He had been about three years younger than his sister and was attending the adjacent primary school. A woman serving in the tuck stop at the time of the commotion also saw the UFO. So there we have another witness from the same family at the other school on the other side of the pines. We also have a woman serving in the tuck shop at the time of the commotion who also saw it. There was another man who said he had been in chemistry class during the incident, and he verified it almost to a T. He said that uh, he and the other students and teachers had, sent through the w- had, had looked through the windows what seemed to be a silver-blue object of a classic flying saucer shape, come down behind the group of pine trees in an underdeveloped area not more than 200 meters from Fairbank Road. There had been two objects according to what he had heard, but he only saw what seems to have been the first of these. He goes on to say that a lot of the students took off in the direction of the pine trees, and he noticed a large, and he was one of the students that went out after it. He says a large area of flattened grass was found there, particularly circular in shape. Now he says it's about 10 meters in diameter with three scorched marks. The grass was very dry, but it hadn't started a fire. A man approached the school group and told them all to quote piss off because it was private property. The property had been standing idle for many years. The man walked through the area of flattened grass and seemed to ignore its existence according to the person according to this witness. When he was told by a number of screaming children that a flying saucer had come down there, he said that's bullshit and various other things. The school children eventually the school children eventually returned to the school accompanied by a number of teachers who had, quote, followed the mass exodus. This next part is from Ray Fisher of the Victorian UFO Research Society. Now, he says that he interviewed a man who came on the scene at about 5 p.m. the day of the sightings. He saw a perfect circle of flattened grass, flattened right down to ground level, in grass that was about 2 feet high. The man recollected that he thought the area was about 10 meters in diameter. So it all seems to be about 10 to 20 meters in diameter. He returned a few days later to find a team of military or Air Force people going over the site. A couple of technical-looking vans were parked outside. He saw that the people in uniforms were examining the circle with radiation detectors, and officials there told him he couldn't go into the field and to move on. The next time he went to the field, the entire paddock had been burnt out. Now there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of websites when they talk about this. They include a bit about a cow that was in the paddock and the UFO came down over the cow and the cow freaked out. Didn't crush the cow, but they came down close enough that the cow freaked out. There was another story that one of the schoolgirls went into a trance or a daze. I can't verify either. I definitely can't verify the cow. It seems to be only one or two websites that talk about that. And the dazed or trance-like state is probably the girl that went into shock and then fainted from it. I don't believe any of those stories. There was a woman live, that was living nearby Westall School, and she said that the, that the UFO had hovered over her house above trees before it landed behind the school. The UFO was allegedly above the trees for 5 to 10 minutes before it landed. The woman claimed the UFO was, quote, trying to find a place to land. She states she followed it, but that it started to get a bit spooky, so she returned home, but then went back only to be turned away by police. So this is another eyewitness of before it got to the school and she verified it as well. So students, parents, teachers alike saw something to this day. They don't know what it was. They saw that drogue or weather balloon is just bullshit. It doesn't match what so many people saw. It doesn't match the speed. It doesn't match the look it doesn't explain the burnt field or the radiation detectors or the military burning out that entire field. The site of the encounter has now been turned into a memorial park to reflect the 1966 Westall UFO incident. So it's a a huge story there, but it doesn't get enough press in my opinion. It's relatively modern day with witnesses still alive and willing to talk, which is important. And from everything I can find, it can't be debunked. It just can't what got me though was how much it resembles the details of a few other school UFO encounters but those are for upcoming editions of Paranormal Almanac and by upcoming editions of Paranormal Almanac I mean probably going to be the next patron exclusive there are some fantastic school UFO encounters one from my home state of Michigan and a few that just can't be explained. They're absolutely bizarre, but those will probably be for the patrons. Okay, it's that time. What do you guys think? What landed in the fields behind this school? I honestly think that if it was just students, I wouldn't have put too much stock into this. And I'll post the uh, photos that the kids drew and everything like that, or the drawings that the kids drew. I'll post those on Facebook and Instagram as I come across them but only the ones I can verify are from there because there's a lot of BS UFO drawings that people attribute to this. If I can verify it's from this, I'll post it on there. But what do you guys think? What what landed behind the school? Do you think that if it was just the students, you wouldn't have believed it? Or do you think you'd believe it more because these are students that have nothing to lie, no reason to lie? Remember, this is 1966. It's not like if you told a UFO story, you were a hero, People just told you to shut up and called you crazy. So what caused 200 plus students to make this story up? What scared that headmaster so much that he threatened the students and the teachers? And finally, the last question, what would you have done if you were a student? You're out there playing. You're out there in recess. You're playing. You look up. You notice a UFO. You watch it land. You watch it for 20 minutes and then take off. What would you have done? Would your parents have believed you when you were a kid? Well, once again, I am your host, Kurt Sandig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. I'm a fan of the world. He's